Hello and welcome to the second edition of the Just Checking In podcast. This podcast is always brought to you by Venn, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas and start conversations. I'm your host, Freddie Cocker, and I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of Vent. Each pod, I check in with a special guest. We have a natter about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they're passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we'll discuss it. Now, before we get started, if you were uh, wondering, whilst listening to the first edition of the pod, what was that amazing intro music? The answer is that it was our friends in Patawawa. For those who want to find them on Spotify or social media, that's Patawawa spelled P-A-T-A, W-A-W-A. They're a brilliant new disco trio from Matlock in Derbyshire, and they've actually performed at the first Just Checking In Live gig. So please go do have a listen to them as we are big, big fans of them. Now onto the task at hand, my special guest for today's pod is a man who's actually come to, with me to see Patawawa live on a couple of occasions. Uh, we've known each other since I was 18 and is someone I consider a true close friend. I'm sure he won't mind me saying that. Um, he also happens to be project officer for Mental Health First Aid England a fantastic charity which is quite literally saving lives at the moment and is fighting a good fight for mental health alongside us. That man is Elliot Pierce. Elliot, welcome to the Just Checking In pod. How are you mate? Yeah, I'm good thanks buddy and uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, excited to catch up and talk about something. Yeah, when was, when was the last time we saw each other before this? Good few months ago. Yeah. Actually, it might have been the Patawawa gig, actually. Was it? Was, been, it? was it the one, was it one of the Green? Green? Well, yeah. So. Now, the listeners won't know because they can't see you, but you're looking a little bit hungover. <laughs> um, where did you go out last night? Well, I was in Leytonstone for um, Northern Forest, if you don't know, is the London Borough of Culture this year. Mm-hmm. And Dave Norburn put on a night from Axel over the world, it was wicked. And then right at the end, Blur came out, uh, which was unexpected. They didn't say they'd come out. They haven't performed together for about five years, I don't think. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, I actually we could actually hear the festival from my house. <laughs> really? So I was wondering what it was. I had no idea. And yeah. I saw your Instagram. I was like, oh, right, that's what it was. Where was it in Leytonstone? I was trying to figure out what the venue was. Just by um, Charlie Valjana. It was um, that bit of Wardsley Flats. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I never would have thought that. So how big How big was the venue? Like, was it like a tent? Was it? Yeah. It was how did they do security for it? tent. Um, Security wasn't like it wasn't like a massive event. That's what I'd say. It was right, like a couple of thousand people there. Okay, um, it was like quite. I think like the majority of people were from Warburton Forest. Yeah, the way they did the ticketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was wicked. Yeah, so yeah. amazing, man. I'm so jealous. I would have, uh, would have come even fun if I had known that Dana Norbaum was going to come in and do a, do a impromptu set. How many songs did they play? Uh, three, three or four, I think. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Um, now for the listeners who don't know how we know each other, obviously mm. we've known each other for about six, six, seven years mm. now. Do you want to tell them the circumstances around how we met? Yeah, so we met working at a kids camp, right? Bar- yeah, that's the one, Barracudas. Um, yeah, I was, for, as some of jobs go when you're sort of between sixth form school university, I think that was a pretty good one to have. All we did was pretty much doss about and then <laughs> teach a few lessons and then that was it really, well, didn't we? Yeah, I think I had... Obviously we did work hard as well at the yeah, time, but of course, I'm yeah. I'm sure that the kids had a great summer. Uh, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like... Um, my role was a bit, a bit rubbish, really. You were a fencing instructor, weren't yeah, you? So yeah, so when yeah. you apply to work at Barracudas, they basically ask you what role do you want. So mm-hmm. I just ticked all the boxes to say, um, I'll do that, I'll do that, I'll do that, for all the roles. And then, I guess no one else ticked fencing instructor. So I've, ne- <laughs> I've never done fencing before in my life. So I had to have a crash course in A, 
how to do fencing and being yeah. able to teach it's like the same lesson an hour lesson on yeah the- I remember we, we'd have our lunch breaks and you'd, I'd be like oh, I'll take dinner maybe you're like oh god I'm so bored so <laughs> teach the same fencing course like like one after the yeah. other to like a bunch of five year olds and then they forget it the next week because there's a new bunch of kids and, uh, Jesus yeah and but the kids got bored as well so whenever they said no fencing I was secretly like yes an additional adult for um, the other groups yeah I think we were the opposite I think when me and our, our mutual friend James we used to be we were multi-activity instructors so we taught quad biking archery and trampolining and I think there were times when it'd be like raining and we get to the, uh, the specific, specific kids class and they would say oh we can't do archery today and I'd be like oh no we can't do archery and I'd secretly be going oh thank god I would bother to like, walk <laughs> all the way back down to the field yeah. take the arrows walk back again oh Jesus no it wasn't it was it was, yeah, it was definitely a bit of a role reverse for how much we enjoyed our jobs at times. Um, right, so now we've got that out of the way, do you want to get started? Mm-hmm. So the first subject I want to dive into a bit more, if we could, is the company that you work for. Now, their name might seem extremely self-explanatory, mm. but for all the listeners who haven't heard of Mental Health First Aid England, or MHFAE, should we call it that as a, the abbreviation? I think the is MHFAE England, is what they are. Oh, okay, so yeah. we'll go with MHFAE England. Um, what role does it perform in the mental health space and what can you tell us about it? So, Mental Health First in England, it's just about normal people um, in companies, in schools, any sort of walk of life really, um, just normalising the conversations about mental health, mm-hmm. uh, reducing the stigma, um, and just making people feel like mental health is something that everyone can talk about mm-hmm. and everyone should talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think, you know, tell us like, not making people fairies or whatever, mm-hmm. just equipping normal people with the ability to have a conversation, to check in, mm. have a cup of tea for 10 minutes, how are you, how are you feeling today? The sort of, um, and just making people feel like when they go into work or school, somewhere they should feel safe. So, so what sort of courses do they provide them? Is it one specific course for say the workplace and then one specific course for say sort of normal regular mm. citizens who might encounter someone maybe at a train station who's feeling mm. really suicidal how does it how it sort of differ in the courses that they provide so both of those would fall under the adult course bracket yep. um, and they're broken down with a two day course mm-hmm. a one day course and also a half day course depending into what depth you're going to around mm. the conversation around mental or first aid and how um, yeah so go on sorry go on uh, and then we have the youth course which is uh, would go for schools mm-hmm. people working in their yeah, youth charities and then there's with an armed force course people who have been in um like any of the armed forces and also a higher education course mm. um, for universities etc so for the armed forces would it be around um, sort of issues like PTSD then yeah okay um, and you've sort of briefly touched on how it varies in the audiences that they cater oh. for was there, was there a specific um, reason why you wanted to cater to everyone and not maybe just focus on one specific audience you wanted oh. to make sure that sort of everyone from every single walk of life oh. could go and do this course sure. and be equipped to say, deal with someone who might be feeling low in public or in the workplace and they can yeah. spot the signs of mental health issues, essentially. I think across all the courses, that the skills are transferable. Um, but it's just about the depths that go into a particular subject. So the point you raised about PTSD, obviously the Young Forces course goes insane in mm. detail. Mm. And it's also about sort of the case studies being more specific to those remits and also our instructors. So if you have an armed forces instructor mm. who delivers a course, um, everyone likes to have that sort of background uh, and therefore those who are experiencing the course relate to it more mm-hmm. um, and yeah makes it better yeah the experience mm. so, so tell me a bit more about the journey that MHFA England has gone on in mm. because I'm sure 20 30 years ago yeah 
I mean, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that mental health first aid training wasn't even in the in the wider conversation. Um, did it exist, or was it just very not very well known about? What What can you tell me about that? It didn't exist. So, mental health first aid um, was actually founded in Australia okay. in 2000. Oh right, and, and it was brought into England in 2007. So very, so fairly recently then. Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah. And that was just as like um, part of health funded mm-hmm. um, initiative to try and normalise conversations, um, and then it sort of became its own organisation in two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. But in terms, yeah, but I mean, in terms of the the, the size of the organisation now, that's been quite a recent mm-hmm. phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And how has and how has it grown in the last few years alongside the the change that we've seen in the mental yeah. health conversation? Because I'm sure, you know people being more open about their mental health has helped oh. first Mental Health First Aid England as well as Mental Health First Aid England helping other people become more open. So how do you think the conversation has changed in, in regards to how you do your work as well? Yeah, I think absolutely it's a, it's a two-way street that, you mm. know, um, that they're interplaying there. Um, so I joined MH England just over two years ago now mm-hmm. and I'd say the staff has probably tripled in size since Wow, I've okay, so, so big really, expansion then. Yeah. really has grown. Um, uh, in terms of conversations that we have it is it, making it easier to accessible because people are waking up um, for all manner of reasons mm. a big change that I've seen personally has been commercial uh, okay. in yeah. businesses because there was a study like two years ago that um, in term, for mental health illness mm-hmm. um, 35 billion pounds is lost every year for the UK economy because of mental health issues. Yeah. So um, what would that what that manifest itself in? So say would it be for like people taking days off or would it be people who are what 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 does that sort of mean? Yeah, that would probably be people taking days off also impacting their work when they come into work. So productivity. Yeah. Oh okay, got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think not only from um, the you know a humanity level of you know be more mentally healthy or mental health aware, mm-hmm. but also it make I think businesses and those in that sector are waking up to the fact that it makes financial sense mm-hmm. as well. But, and that, that sort of study is coming out to show that not only is it good to be um, having these conversations, but it also makes it just simple. So healthier lives, and you know, they'd be able to make more money yeah. and they can have better workforces and people won't be more likely to leave their offices if they have better mental health Absolutely. structures in place. Okay, perfect. And how, how can people get involved with MHFA from a, from a purely sort of citizen perspective? Mm-hmm. Um, so, from a citizen perspective, if you go onto the website, uh, MHF England, I believe it's .org, uh, you can just book onto a course there, mm-hmm. and book onto the course that you think is most relevant to you. So you could book on a half day, if you just want to be more mentally health aware, one day, or a two day if you want to be a full on mental health first aider, mm-hmm. um, adult, youth, higher education, or uh, armed forces, whichever one you feel is most relevant to you. Mm-hmm. And if you want to take both, there's also the possibility of becoming an instructor. Um, okay, so talk to us a bit about that then. So how do you become instructor? How would someone who's listening to this say, mm. right, I'm really passionate about mental health, but I don't work in a mental health charity, yeah. but I want to have those tools and be able to talk to anyone about mental health and possibly help them along the way. Yeah, and that's what I really encourage, especially people like in organisations, because then sort of whole organisation approach, mm. if you have someone who trains as an MHF instructor, can then deliver the training to the wider organisation. So in terms of becoming an instructor, um, you'd apply through the website again mm-hmm. um, to become an instructor and you just have to sort of make a case of what you do with the training, why you're interested in the training, mm-hmm. um, and then it's a seven day course. Um, firstly, the course itself, mm-hmm. and then you'd have two of our national instructors, mm-hmm. uh, national trainers, sorry, uh, who would deliver the training and offer that, yeah, you'd be good to go. 
Amazing. Then we got um, like um, at least people from the walks of life. So I don't feel like, as you said, like oh, I'm not um, qualified uh, in any sort of way because we have people all over. And that's the idea of mental health. Yeah. Everyone, that and anyone it, can yeah. be an instructor. And it cuts across class lines, economic Absolutely. lines, you yeah. know, so, social class, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Uh, uh, yeah, that's exactly sort of the aim. Is that anyone can have those conversations and can facilitate those conversations as mm. an instructor. So you briefly mentioned it there and talked about your uh, your role in a bit more detail. Um, Talk to me, talk to me and the listeners then about what your role just entails on a day to day basis mm. and and what you do essentially in your job with MHFA England essentially. Sure. So for the last just over a year now, I've been working on the government funded schools program, mm-hmm. which is uh, the Department of Health stated that for they would train a thousand state schools per year, um, and so my role has been engaging with schools, uh, engaging with light, wider council leads. Uh, booking those courses really um, and more so recently it's been about further outreach into communities mm-hmm. it's taking it further not just in terms of a school's program per se but trying to delve further into schools work and also working with youth charities etc mm-hmm. I think it's safe to say that in schools we're definitely facing a mental health crisis mm. and especially in young men as well um, when you've done your outreach outreach work in those schools, what are the issues that you've found? Have you found it as have you found issues around identification? Have you found mm. issues around the schools not being able to handle the sheer volume of students coming to them with mm. mental health issues? Or has it been a case of resources and fundings, or maybe a case of all three? You know, what what can what can you tell us about that? As it's like a national program, and personally, I work on the east of England, southeast, and Yorkshire. Mm-hmm. It really varies regionally um, in terms of resources, etc. But the one thing that I've found across country is teachers are finding that anxiety um, is really on the rise at schools. Mm. Um, Amongst teachers as well or just purely amongst the the, the students? (coughs) Primarily amongst their students, but amongst themselves as well. Um, And that's something that comes across because when we get the feedback, we look at the suggestions from mm. the those who take the course for further co- future courses, any sort of development we can do around the programme. And um, they want to touch more upon anxiety um, and also, yeah, self-harm as well. Um, okay. Those are two of the issues that um, quite, quite dominate the topics. And has it been anxiety caused by, you know, the pressures of just being a, a kid and being a, a teenager in school and having all those sort of issues you know your your body's changing mm. you've got pressures around exams you've got you know relationships for the first time maybe yeah. so is it anxiety around those different issues or is it sort of more of a, a generalized anxiety that perhaps we all have and 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 a lot of us have in in different in different strands or different uh severity so to speak mm. i think i think exams is a massive part of it mm. um and the pressures of that period of school um because now we're sort of we're in a world where exams are more and more of a part of your life from a younger age as well. Mm. And I was actually at a, a conference the other day um, and an individual, can't remember her name now, but she's done a study first from a PhD up until now, 20 years later, um, mapping um, mental health issues from the age of three up until the age of 24. Mm. And there's a huge spike between the ages of 14 and 19 in terms of anxiety as Develop, developing it or identification of it, it it's, it's the, so it is the identification of it okay uh, so I think that is that is a, the difficulty around um, discussing the prevalence of mental health mm-hmm. is it is it an increase in mental health itself mental problems itself or is it an increase in awareness um, exactly and it could be just a case of people are identifying it 
and maybe a lot of our generation had it, mm. but we just weren't identified with it. Yeah. So I think it's, yeah, it, it is a blurred line, so to speak, I think. Mm. Do, do you think schools are getting better at identifying children at risk of mental health, is- health issues and giving them the right support? Generally, yes, but there's still a long way to go. Mm. Um, what I found is with engaging with schools on a day-to-day basis. So our aim for the programme was really to try and train assistant heads, deputy heads, mm. firstly in the first step, mental health first aid, so that a whole school approach could be applied because mm-hmm. that's how you get real system. That's how you get yeah. systematic change across, mm. the, across the school and more likely that more people get trained in mental health first aid England uh, training. Um, but what we found is that schools generally will send a SENCO which right. is great, which is great. But um, generally saying... So what is a SENCO for people who don't know what that means? Uh, a SENCO is a special... Uh, somebody who works with special education needs um, students in okay. the school. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's great. Um, and those are that is a good outlet for students. Um, but all, a lot of the time, that is a role within the school where they are more likely to be aware of mental health issues and mm-hmm. the problems that surround that school. So sort of preaching to the choir, so to speak. Or preaching to the it can, it can be, it, it can, it can f- feel a bit like that. Um, and that's a frustration. Um, and then from that Senko, if they love the training, which they often do, uh, and they want to implement it in the school, mm. they, don't usually, they don't often have the power. Right. So there is still a feeling in the school, uh, mental health still maybe pigeonholed a bit and it's sort of comes down one channel. Um, whereas we want it to be like a whole school mm feels like everyone could talk about mental health. Have you, just, have you done work with governors as well or trustees? Is, would that be a better way of sort of filtering down? Or Yeah, yeah. yeah? We've, we've done yeah. a whole, whole variety of ways and it re- and sort of the higher up it starts and the better mm. um, the whole school approach is. Um, yeah. Because I think, I think from my perspective, I mean, I think the conversations evolved even as far as 10 years ago in schools. Mm. I mean, from, from when I was in school, I don't think mental health was even a thing. Like yeah. I, I was going through severe mental health issues that I wasn't aware about. Mm. I never got, never once got up, you know, asked aside by a teacher or someone saying, I've noticed this, you're really struggling. Like yeah. what's going on? I didn't have ever have one conversation with a teacher or a counsellor. I just became invisible mm. to not just teachers, but I think the wider hierarchical structure of the school. Sure. So I think that the fact that's, that, that, where you're going into schools and teaching the head teachers first, I think is a really great step. Mm. And I think from that, it's so much easier to, you know, filter that down to teach to heads of departments and then teachers and then teaching assistants. Yeah. Because I think what you said about Senkos is a really important point because I think a lot of special educational needs children, um, they have mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And I think that doing work with them is vital but it's really important that what you said that is we don't pigeonhole that yeah. and we make sure it's a holistic approach rather than say purely confined to say special educational needs or mm-hmm. or more um, tailored needs essentially. Yeah. Um, what work have you done in your role to sort of challenge outdated attitudes and enforce good attitudes in school towards mental health in young people? Have you found that at all? Have there been Has there been pushback from certain institutions or, or people who have said maybe things that they've obviously clearly not been educated on. Mm. What, what, can, what more can you tell me about that? To be fair, in, in my role, um, working primarily with um, schools, I haven't found too much of a... That's a positive then. Yeah. yeah. Um, the pushback has would, would be, we don't feel that we need this training. Right. Um, or we're not interested. Right. And at that point, there's, you know, there's only, only so much you can do. Mm. Or just sort of... Um, I think the, the hardest one has been sort of schools just ignoring you. 
Right. When um, is that? And and is that? Does that not discriminate based on private school or state school? Have you found like more private schools have done it? Have maybe been more less receptive, or has it just been sort of school it's, by school basis? It's only um, only state secondary schools. Oh, you only do state secondary oh, Apologies, we're funded for the program. Yeah. Um, because I think schools are inundated with offers of programs, etc. Mm. So they, they, I, I can understand where it can get lost in the noise. Mm. But um, this was a really great program, um, free for state secondary schools. And a lot of the time there was just sort of a, a lack of reception. And that's why we had to go around the route of working with local councils mm. and leads in the area who already had connections with the schools so we could really get a, a, our foot in the door. Mm. Do you, could, you, do you, could you pinpoint a reason why they were perhaps less receptive? Or do you think it's, it's purely in that, like you said, you know, it, there's a lot of noise and they're mm. trying to figure out the best route to helping their, their students and perhaps they don't have the time to commit X amount of funds yeah. to a programme they might feel is, is not necessary when they're, you know, they're completely underfunded right now in the mm. state school system. Is, have you have you been able to sort of pinpoint a reason or is it is it just one of those things where you think, right, this head teacher might not just be there yet in mm. regards to being on the ball and being aware of mental health? I think, I think um, yeah, that is a part of it, is it, if on the board of mental health. And come back to my earlier point about regionally. Mm. So I worked on opportunity areas mm-hmm. as one of my projects, which was opportunity areas are, I think it's 14 regions across England, mm. which have low social mobility. Right. Uh, and even then, these are all areas with similar, a similar sort of living standard. Mm. But across then, there was a real difference in attitude to mental health. So, so very much a postcode lottery almost. Yeah, in how, absolutely. In regards so, to the treatment you got in your school as well. As, yeah. as, that's absolutely yeah. it. So for, in Norwich, for example, um, one of the opportunity areas, they were really receptive. Uh, and the majority of the schools have now been trained in mental health first aid. And that's that's really positive to see. Um, but then another opportunity area um, down in Hastings, uh, we haven't delivered um, any as of yet. There is one coming up in Hastings. Mm-hmm. Uh, but none of as of yet. So it really does depend um, based on where you are. And it, it, we can often get passed around a lot because people, schools at the moment don't always have someone who mental health is their remit. Mm. But I believe that change is coming. Um, and who does, it, who does it normally fall to then? Does it fall to like a, I don't know, like a head of department or a head of, I'm not, I'm not even sure what the role would be. There is there is usually um, even like a head of, head of, Safeguarding or de- uh, designated safeguarding. Okay, lead. yeah, safeguarding officer or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it come down to them, but then that's when it gets passed to the Senko to go. Mm. Um, but to come back to the idea of why people are less receptive, I think in terms of resources of time, mm. teachers um, struggle to get the time because they have to have cover, etc. Mm. Um, and that's why for the program we've done the one day to the two day, because to get teachers to book two consecutive days training while they're meant, while they're um, when they're meant to be at school mm. is really difficult so um, that's why the one day was done for the programme and you think that's the main challenge in sort of making sure that you can deliver your projects and your work mm. because at the end of the day you know teachers time is so precious I yeah. mean I remember talking to one of my my old school teachers uh, I meant to deliver a talk about like my work and what mm. I've achieved and I said uh, would you be interested in, in writing an article for Vent yeah. um, for my public sector hero section and he said at the moment I'm working like a 40 hour week or something yeah. ridiculous and I have zero time unfortunately to be able to deliver sure. or write an article in my spare time let alone the the, the work I've got to do for my students so mm. I think that was really eye-opening, eye-opening for me that it's almost getting worse before it gets better when it comes to their own teaching time yeah um so I think again like you said I you know a two-day training course 
for us, it's it's so important and it's it's so vital that we get teachers to be aware of mental health. But on their list of priorities, it might just not be yeah. there yet. And that, that some come, of them that comes down to what you said before, I guess, about the postcode lottery. Mm. And because we'd have people reach out to us and say, for this year, mental health is our number one agenda. Can we access your training? And then there's other regions where you've got to really dig and dig and dig. And it is so important. And, you know, 75% of uh, mental health illnesses uh, arise by the age of 24. So, I mean, that's, for me, a staggering statistic. Because, mm. you know, when you're in your early 20s, you're still a young person. Um, so, you know, while you're a young person, 75% of that's when um, mental health illness or issues mm. arise. And I think 18 to 21 is a really important yeah, age. because sure. Yeah, because for me, like, I was never, I've never been officially diagnosed, mm. but my mental health issues all exploded and came to the surface in a in a big big way when I went to university when I was between the ages of eighteen to twenty one, mm. and that was because for so many years I had bottled all my feelings up and sort of assumed that all these suicidal feelings and thoughts and whatever were no, was normal mm. or at least something that I just had to go through. Sure. And because I didn't know anyone else talking about it or experiencing yeah. it, it was very alien for me to finally open up mm. and then finally find out that other people were experiencing this. So I think the earlier that, that we get children diagnosed the better yep. because it means at least they have some sort of they have, they have a the time to be able to manage their own mental health better and mm-hmm. they can develop some tools before they get to adulthood to, yep. to help themselves and also i think it just it develops a support structure and a network you know if their parents know about it if yeah. their if their schools know about it if you know their friends know about it if they can create those support structures and networks then rather yes. than when they get to university mm. when they might be away from home and, and, and all those sort of issues that come with it, then we're going to be in a much better place to develop a healthier population, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think and that idea that you touched on there with um, the community is massive and one that we really are trying to focus on that. You know, you can you can talk to your family, your friends, mm. um, and you can go into school and feel like, you know, your, your teachers can have those conversations with you. Because school's massive when you're when you're a child. It's everything. I mean, yeah. we we both went to schools in East London, sort of slash Essex area, and mm. when we were all in these schools together, our world seemed so small. Yeah, like our world was all the schools that we went to and everyone who knew each mm. other. And then when you get out of that world, it's really jarring how you just you realize how massive the world is and how yeah. insignificant these social hierarchies and and you know efforts to try and fit in don't mean anything anymore the yeah. popular kids are just the same as you they're yeah. just they're, they're still struggling to get by they're still they still have the same issues that you have but mm. they can't amplify or put on a mask that they're the most popular kids anymore mm. so I think what you said about making sure that kids in school know that they have those support structures to go to I think is massive because at the end of the day if we do that the, mo- the money that you could A, save on people going to mental to, to the NHS or they have to be admitted into um, mental health beds is is one thing. And B, the cost that it could be on, God forbid, you know, them, them taking their own life yeah. Or, or, yeah, there's just so many other reasons that, that can that can factor into it if we can get early intervention and early identification and treatment in now. Mm. Now, the last topic we've got for discussion, and it's something that I always want to have with, with every person that comes on the Just Checking In pod, is, is our own mental health in general mm-hmm. um i don't think it's something that we've ever really discussed before as as mates i think yeah. we've always checked in on each other and said like how you doing and all that and said i'm, I'm okay with my mental health but i don't think we've ever had a a proper in-depth talk about it have we so first of all how is your mental health mate 
at the moment really good yeah uh, yeah i'm feeling really yeah i'm really happy generally at the moment um and the sunshine helps uh for mm. me personally when the, when the sun's out i feel just in a much lighter yeah. bright, brighter I think mood everyone does, does don't they i mean some yeah. people have you know seen seasonal affective disorder uh, seasonal anxiety disorder? seasonal affective disorder, seasonal yeah. affective disorder thank you um and i certainly get that sometimes with like winter and if i'm like coming back from a night out and it's really cold and I get mm. on, my, on, my, on my own and with my own thoughts I think sometimes that could definitely affect me but it's really great to hear you're, you're in a good state of mind mate mm. definitely how, how are you? Oh, yeah I think I'm in I think I'm in a good I mean I'm in an up period mm. at the moment I think I was definitely in a, down, a very big down period a few months ago um, but I think with me it's a case of when I'm in my down period just trying to get trying to see there's like a light at the end of the tunnel sure. and then using some tools that I can to get through that essentially and I think for me there've been a few things that have they've definitely been more positive for me that have, have helped. I think the, the gig that that I had in January was really positive for me and that was a really big achievement for me. Yeah. Um, Super proud of you looking at that. Thanks man, yeah. I mean, I mean, the, the, the YouTube video's only got 113 views so please go check out the YouTube video from the gig <laughs> if you haven't. Um, but I, was, I was really proud of that and I think for me getting over that PTSD of public speaking mm. that I'd had for so long because of being bullied in drama school, um, I think that reignited my sort of love and passion for drama again, yeah. I think. I think that was really big. Um, and I think this pod has been really good. Yeah. I think just make, you know, having those next steps invent and, and making sure that I can try and help more people because the just checking in interview written pieces, I think do serve a purpose and I think they're really good for some people. But I think for some other people, just having a natural conversation is so much better sure. um, than saying, you know, giving them a list of questions and saying how you feel in and all these other questions. So I think it's just a case of being able to tailor how I help people to that specific person. Um, what what age do you think you were when you first realised that like a feeling that you had in your mind wasn't mm. actually a physical thing and maybe this was actually mental health rather than a physical ailment or something that, that happened to you? I think similar to yourself um, in terms of university, I'd probably say. Mm. Um, for, I think, and I think universities um, can be massive in terms of mental health and wellbeing. Mm. So for me personally, I you know I had this idea. I think that we all get built into us from maybe old relatives or from the popular culture from the media mm. of university being this great experience of just high times and yeah. happiness, right? Um, going out of the session all the time and doing whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's yeah, all good times, no bad. Uh, and I really, I really struggled in terms of um, first year university. Mm. Um, I did as well. I was massively homesick yeah. for the first like couple of months. Massively, yeah. yeah. And a sort of, um, yeah, experience all those symptoms you'd see in seasonal affective disorder, I think. Mm. Especially when you go from, um, when you, normally you'd leave, um, sort of fly the nest to go to university for the first time. Mm. Uh, and then you leave your whole support network behind. No, you do. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. you have the friends you've known your whole life, your, your family, even, you know, uh, teachers in school and stuff. It's mm. everyone that you feel like, you know, you, you can relate to and you know and that you, you could talk to. There's, there's just a bunch of new people all of a sudden yeah uh and just i think the lack of structure um i found difficult as well in terms of you know you've got what six nine contact hours a week rest of the for, for, for some of us some of us some of us had more contact hours but i was with you i had about eight yeah i mean <laughs> humanities if you do humanities degree yeah if you do a humanities <laughs> degree or a liberal arts degree yeah. you'll probably have less contact hours than say someone who's doing medicine yeah. so we should point that out yeah and i think yeah um I just found myself like going to bed, you know, really late for no apparent reason, mm. and just, um, waking up maybe like early afternoon till two o'clock. Yeah, and by the time I'd I'd gone outside, it'd be dark again, and that was that was really difficult. Oh, you were going out again? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And that was that was I just found that really difficult. 
Um, mm. I just find myself in a bit, a bit of a rut, really. And like, mm. it's something that I hadn't really experienced before. Mm. And yeah, I, I mean, I was aware of mental health, but mm. I wasn't aware of who to talk to. Mm. At the university, either, I wasn't really aware of who in the structure. I mean, universities are massive as well. It's massive, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, I just felt like I didn't really know any of the lecturers or the, the staff there. Mm. So I didn't really feel comfortable talking to anyone, really. Mm. Um, and that's why I think, our, in terms of taking about term HFA England, the higher education um, products course that we deliver is massive. Mm. Um, just to make sure you, because I would love to have had someone like to talk to. Mm. And what do, um, is the is the higher education course to lecturers or is it to like vice chancellors or whatever? To both, and also okay. just also it can be to sort of anyone from like student union staff mm. across the board. Just yeah, going back to that organisational normalisation mm. of conversation. I think I think I definitely agree with you, mate. I mean, when I went to university, um, I was in a because Sussex was my second choice and I didn't get into Bristol mm. on the day. Um, I got two A's and a B and then th- they didn't let me in. Mm. I ended up going into a a house off campus. So if people don't know, Sussex University is a campus um, university. Mm. And I ended up getting put into a house with three strangers. Not that I wouldn't have been in a group of strangers in campus accommodation, but it just seemed a bit more alien to me. And the the house that I was in looking back would have been a great house for second year because everyone moves off campus and into a, different areas and the area that it was at, it was in was really nice and I ended up li- actually living next near, near that house in, in second year but I went in that house I was you know my mum and dad left me and I was really really homesick mm. um, for the first few months of uni and I remember I oh, thank god I had one of my friends from home uh, Thomas who I'm giving a shout out to on this pod right now he 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 was in off campus as well and he was literally just down the road oh, right, yeah, so yeah. me and him just spent all the freshers week together like literally every day um, just every day together out out on the town and just making sure we supported each other essentially and then I was I think I was probably about a week from from dropping out altogether mm. I mean I remember phoning up my mum I was crying I was just yeah. like I just, I just don't like what this house like the, the, they don't none of them talk to me they don't they just keep themselves themselves yeah. I'm very extrovert you know what I mean like, I love meeting new people yeah. I love talking to people and they was just keeping themselves themselves just sitting in my room just festering and just wasn't just was it was just completely unhappy and luckily I was gu- I, the last time I went back to the housing accommodation office I said to the geezer I said like, mate like I'll literally take like a shared room yeah, like a yeah. shared flat anywhere like just the worst accommodation just if, yeah. as long as you've got something I'm like a week from dropping out and he said oh, I'll leave it with me I'll try and do something and this guy came over to me and he said, oh, hey, man, like I'm in this, I want to move off campus. I work, I work like I'm a mature student. And I live in um, this accommodation, which was, which turned out to be the most expensive one, but it was really, really nice. Um, do you want to swap with me? I literally said, mate, like take me there now. Really? I'll get it sorted. Oh, like wow. I'll phone my mum, like, please come down next week. Bring like, bring the car, get everything sorted out. And because I need to do this. And they were like, okay, we'll do, we'll do this. We'll do this for you. So then the next week, moved on to campus and that was it really and yeah. from there it was almost like my freshers week started then yeah yeah, yeah. because I sort of felt like I'd missed out yeah, on, found your, on that yeah, yeah I felt like I'd missed out on that whole freshers week vibe of mm. being in your flat for the first time yeah. and meeting all these new people and I sort of that was it the world well, the world was my answer from there and I sort of made up for lost time and just chatted to any, yeah. any person that I could find um, but I do get, definitely get you about leaving that support structure mm. because I don't know if it was the same for you but I've got you know I've got a fantastic group of friends that I'm friends with now and I'm still close to this mm. day but when we all went to uni we didn't really chat to each other yeah. like we just sort of all went okay there was that sort of unconscious thing of we're all going to do our own thing mm. we've all got new people to meet new adventures to have and then when we come back home over Christmas we'll catch up and you know spend time together again and then we'll do it all again yeah. and then we'll leave each other and do it all again in January so that that lack of support structure definitely I do agree with because 
you know, it's and then, and it's an almost inevitable that, mm. that that happens. And I think that happens with a lot of friendship groups. And I'm quite lucky that that my friendship group survived. Yeah. And we came back home and we didn't we all didn't move out straight away sure. and go to other cities because we were all East Londoners. Um so I definitely definitely agree with that, with that lack of support structure for mm. sure. Um if you felt comfortable saying yeah. to the listeners, like what mental health issues do you live with yourself and how do you think they affect you in your day-to-day life? Um no, I'm not diagnosed with anything um, yeah. in terms of mental health, but I'd, I'd say in terms of symptoms, etc., seasonal affective disorder, mm. those sort of symptoms are really played a big part in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think working for Mental Health First Aid England has really equipped me with some tools to um, navigate through that. Mm. So, for example, I know that we used to, we, we used to just work in a, we've just moved to a really nice swanky office. Oh yeah, with um, you know sun sun coming through the yeah, windows. Yeah, yeah. Um, laptops, um, you know, uh, really, yeah, it's a really, lovely very uncharity like. Uh, well, I, I was <laughs> going to pull you up earlier. It's a community interest company, not oh, a. Oh, I see. Not, not Apologies, a, not a, not a community interest company. Okay, <laughs> I make sure I say that from now on. Right, um, but we used to be down in a basement uh, in a shared space, and mm. uh, it was like, you know, didn't really get much sunlight, so I'd always make sure my lunch break to go for a walk, mm-hmm. um, sunlight, fresh air. Um, and that's just little things. Uh, on the weekend, I, I really do like, feel like an old man, but I love going for a walk. Um, and we're lucky here near Epping Forest. Mm. I love strolling through the forest, etc. And that's really good for me. Just not having sort of anything on me, just like clearing my mind. So you don't listen to like an iPod or no, an iPod? No, no, no. Yeah. yeah. Um, I try if I can just leave my sort of my phone just at home. And just I like that, yeah. I leave yeah. my phone at the gym and, and if I go to the gym, I'll go leave my phone at home. Or if I, if I can, and it's not like, an emergency if something happens I'll try and leave my phone at home Yeah. so yeah I do get that because it's good to unplug it's yeah. definitely good to unplug Jim brings me to another point that exercise is massive I find for myself mm. as well I really do feel um, great uh, after doing some exercise I think just all those playing into a routine as well and I think that's why mm. maybe I struggled at university particularly in first year was the lack of routine to my life and the lack mm. of structure I think having a structured life like I can for example I'll always go spinning on a Tuesday with my mum <laughs> got Rowena huh? yeah, big, yeah, yeah, yeah. big up Rowena big up Rowan <laughs> um, but just and it's those little things that you know um, fit into my life and just make me you know just keep you keep you sort of ticking on really mm. when you had that first conversation about your mental health mm. did, do you feel like a part of you changed do you feel like it seemed like a really big moment or were you surprised at how maybe it seemed quite insignificant and it was just part of the normalisation process? It really did feel significant to me. Mm. Um, I think it, it did for me, definitely. Yeah, yeah. I think, so mine was, uh, so I was going to touch on what you said earlier with, um, mine was sort of phone call to my mum in first year. Mm. I'm also an extrovert like you, Freddie, you love to talk to people and I feel like I had this idea of going to university and making all the friends. It paints the picture, doesn't it? Everyone yeah. paints the picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, I found myself in a, in, a, in a place where I found really lonely and I just rang my mum and sort of said, I'm really just not happy here. Mm. Um, just sort of, yeah, I, I just miss you and I just don't feel myself. Mm. Went through how I'm feeling, sort of, yeah, anxious, don't really want to leave the house, etc. Mm. Just feeling like really low. And talking to my mum, yeah, she did sort of, she made, she made me feel like it was more normal. Mm. But I think it was once I'd had a few conversations with people and people having, you know, similar situations, etc. Mm. Uh, I think that's the big, I think that was the biggest thing for me. Normalisation of it, Normalisation yeah. and the fact that it wasn't just me who felt this. Yeah. That was massive for me. I used to think all the time in school because everyone used to paint. My school was horrible. My year group was a horrific culture. It was just mm. very, it was very snobby and, you know, very hierarchical base yeah. and clicky and certain popular kids and all that sort of stuff. So when I was going through what I was going through, 
I never thought that anyone else would be going through that. Yeah. I just thought it was me and I was the only one. And it's not like a selfish thing to feel. It's just the way you, f- you just the yeah. way you feel naturally. You feel like, oh, this is this is only happening to me. I have to get through this. Yeah. Um, but that normalization process, I think, was massive, mm. massive. And and you know when I when my mental health issues came to a head and and I ended up having to, to go through cognitive behavioral therapy in third year, it was really massive for me to to have that reception. I remember I remember talking to my housemates in third year for the first time and saying, you know, I've got I've got therapy on. Um, on like Tuesday night sure. and all they just went with all they just said to me was like we hope you're okay Fred let us know if you need to chat yeah. like you know we've all we've all we've both gone through like similar things and that was really massive for me um so yeah I think that normalization process is definitely it's definitely the big thing for me um what what triggers I mean you obviously we've obviously touched on it a little bit but what triggers do you have that sort of affect your mental health and 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 how have you sort of figured out how to cope with them or developing tools to sort of counteract them mm. that's a good question um, well, there's nothing I can do about winter. That's true. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. <laughs> um, definitely. But in terms of ones that I'd say they're they're, they're self-inflicted and then um, self or struggling the word there, self-helped. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it'd be stuff like yeah, like the losing of the routine, not going to the gym or mm. for like a week or two, mm. and then sort of getting out of that pattern, and then not going to the gym actively and mm. sort of. Um, and then that sort of affects me because then I sort of lose more aspects of my routine and sort of lose lose track of who I am a bit, I guess. And then that's when I, I can really start to feel feel low if I don't sort of get out of my system. Do you feel like certain things are linked to your identity? So things like, or thing, or things that you know mm. help you help you express who you are. So if like from yeah. from my perspective, like everyone knows I love gigs. Yeah. Everyone knows that I love dancing. Everyone knows well. Everyone that knows me well. Um, knows that I love music, sport, mm. all that sort of stuff. And I think for a long time, when I went, especially especially when I went through an identity crisis in third year, I sort of was questioning like who I was and mm. what what things actually made up my identity. Because I think in school, any time that I sort of tried to express something that I enjoyed, I was sort of ridiculed for it or like bullied for it. So yeah. I stopped associate when people used to associate things with me i go oh that's not me. Right, I'd be like yeah, oh yeah, no yeah. let's let's put that aside. Like I'm not I don't do that whatever. But then I started coming like proud of the things that I'm sure. known for and sort of embracing that. Mm. Do you feel like there's things that your friends maybe know you for that you're you're proud of like being part of your identity, so to speak? Or character traits? Yeah. Sort of things I suppose, like that. yeah. Like Leighton Orient for one. Like the, the mighty O's, yeah, top, yeah, of top of the league. Always up the O's. Um, hopefully champions soon. Um, I'm, I'm really hoping for that, mate, by yeah, the way. Yeah. I've been keeping an eye on them for a good while now. So yeah, I think... Um, Oh, I, like, I would like to think that a big identity that my friend says that I feel quite maybe quite a loud person quite talkative mm-hmm. um, sort of maybe you know quite quite funny mm-hmm. I suppose those, those, are, those are nice yeah I'll give you that but I suppose yeah and then yeah um, I do I do love football like you I really love music as well mm. uh, and one of my one of my friends said to me like this I mean Things that you say to people, you, you never understand how much it means to the other person, right? Mm. So my friend who said this to me uh, probably would have had no real no realization. That it's, just, it, it's the nonchalant compliments yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that hit you the most, isn't uh, it? He said, yeah. and I think we did. It was something about music, and he's like, "Oh well, um, your your music knowledge, like I'd, I'd, I'd never be able to like yeah. touch you on that." And I was like, "Oh yeah, like so." I think, I mean, Freddie, I don't think anyone loves music as much as you. <laughs> that I know, um, but I think 
But I think in terms of music's a massive thing for me. It's a gigs. bit of a stretch, but yeah, let's go with that. I'll take that compliment um, all day long. Yeah. yeah. But I, and gigs, gigs, I, I mean, I feel like when you're talking yours, I was like, well, I identify in similar ways, gigs. And I'm mm. really trying to go to uh, more gigs. Mm. And that's been massive for me, actually. It's always something to look forward to. Yeah. Um, it's one of my biggest self-care tools, actually. Yeah. I mean, it does help when I go with other people, because a lot of the time, I do love, go- I do enjoy going on my own, especially to some gigs where I feel like no one would enjoy it as much as me. Mm. And I just put my earplugs in when I get in the gig and, and I'm fine. But it's it's the journey to and from the gig that sometimes can be a bit, yeah. Oh, yeah like especially in like winter. And we're going to a gig on Halloween. Mm. I'm going to see state champs in um, at the Roundhouse in Camden, which oh, was we- a which is a great venue, but sound system's not always amazing. Yeah. And um, on the way there, it was just like everyone in Halloween costumes and mm. like on the sesh and having a good time. And there was me like in my coat because it was freezing cold. It's like minus yeah. two that night. And I got in the gig. I went to the cloak and gave my coat and then uh, I was just in the, in the dance and I was dancing away and like, you know, you're looking around and there's people in costumes and having a great time and you're on your own and mm. like, so in those situations, sometimes I just text someone, like, I'll yeah. just text someone like, I'm waiting for the band to come on, can you just talk to me for a bit yeah. until they come on and then I'll enjoy the gig and then the way home, I'll just see people like, on the on like they're having a good time as well. So I got I think I was on the, my way home at like eleven ish. So that peak time for people travelling to yeah. to the boogie or to to a night out. And that sometimes does affect me as well. Yeah. So I make sure I'm always I make sure I have my iPod on me and I can distract myself. But yeah, I definitely I do I do get what you mean. What what tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health? I mean apart from the routine that we touched on, mm. are there any specific things like obviously the walk we talked about, yeah. but are there any things where you know that's like your go-to thing and you can say, right, I'm feeling a bit low at the moment or I'm feeling in a really bad way. This is, these are the things that I can do to help myself feel better. Yeah, so I think I've touched upon a lot of them, but I think one of them, and you've sort of mentioned it there when you're waiting for your gig is having a chat with someone really. Yeah, definitely, um, definitely. So, I mean, I still live, I still live at home. Um, uh, I do just love having a chat with my mum. I really yeah. do. <laughs> um, so I like, I'm just going, I'm just going to have a check with my mum and mm. just see, just see how 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 she is, mm. and then she'd reflect back, and we just have, end up having a bit of a laugh. Yeah. It's the one thing I dread if because I want to move out and I live at mm. home as well, and I want I want to move out and, and live on my own. But that's the one thing I dread living on my own. Yeah, just not having that person you can come home to and just be like, yeah, yeah, how's your day? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing this. What are you up to? Da 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 da. Like, yeah, I do get you. Yeah, just having a cup of tea with my mum. I'd say that's right. That's, if if I'm at home and I'm in that, if I'm just having a cup of tea, just going to catch up with. Mum, getting a lot of shout outs on this podcast, so uh, I, uh, <laughs> I hope she listens and gives it a shout out. Well, I think that's actually all we've got time for on this uh, edition of the second Just Checking In podcast. Um, Elliot, thanks so much, mate, for, for being my special guest. Thanks, uh, For being so open and honest, really appreciate it, and for telling us more about Mental Health First Aid England, and for checking in with me. Always love checking in with you, pal. Um, thank you to all the vendors who've tuned in, and as always, if you've liked what you've heard, Please do give this a share on all the social media channels. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it. Or if you're feeling really, really generous, write us a review on iTunes. We really appreciate it. Uh, we hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember, it's always okay to vent. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>